You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I don't know, I'm a kid in the 80s. Anybody here uh, a teen in the 80s, maybe? All right, a few of us, a couple of us, some of you not. Um, I was uh, graduated in 1987, and uh, uh, very popular movies in the 80s, Karate Kid. You know? Karate Kid, and it was like, loved it. And I loved the second one just as much, you know, but the, the song for Karate Kid 2 was Peter Sotero, was awesome, you know, I'll be you know, uh, that piece of I'll be a big little guy for your world. But Karate Kid's known for it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's Kick, the crane, right? Right? Remember that? Right? And he was like, I'm not going to go. Uh, I almost did. Something about that movie that really stands out. And, and now it's kind of, when you saw it in the 80s for the first time, there was a bit of a surprise. But now we all know what happens, and we're like, ah, that's been done. And, and it was really new and fresh in the karate kid, but, but here's this kid, he's kind of down and out, or kid's always getting picked on, and he, he develops his friendship with this older man, and this older man says that he can teach him uh, karate, and, and he's like, yes, yeah, because then I can like, defend myself, and, and uh, you know, I won't be like, picked on all the time, and so, so he starts coming over to Mr. Miyagi's house, and instead of teaching him karate, he starts having to go all these chores around his house, right? And, and maybe you got to he's, he's like waxing his car. He's like, wax it on. And then you wax it on. Wax on. Wax off. And so he's doing this. And, and then he's like painting the, the, the house and the fence. Like, no, no, you got to paint like this. You know, very specific. And he goes through all these different things. And, and eventually he gets angry. The kid does. He's like, I want to learn karate, right? You're, you're having me do chores, you know? When you can teach me karate. And, and what he began to talk to him about, he said, you know, all those mundane things that you were doing were actually preparing to fight. It was the mundane. It was learning the regular habits of life that actually prepared you for the battle. And so he began to tell him how wax on and wax up was like wax. You know, and how the, the painting was a you know, this kind of, I don't know what <laughs> kind of do these, these moves, right? And the Apostle Paul does the same thing for us. He's like the Mr. Miyagi uh, of the spiritual world. And what he does is Paul teaches the same way. He says, the common mundane areas of your life, if you could be faithful in the mundane areas of your life, just the regular habits of everyday marriage, life, and relationships, then you'll be ready for the battle when the real fights come, when the real battles come. So what he does in chapter 5 is he transitions into this running mode on how to run this race for Christ, and he starts to tackle some really difficult issues, and one of them is marriage. And today we're going to talk about marriage. Now last week there was a challenge to walk in light, to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in discernment or wisdom. So I want to take a look at this verse, I'm going to jump in right from the next one, because he says this in Ephesians 5.15. He says, be careful then how you live, all right, or how you walk. Be, let me put it this way. Be careful then how you have relationships, how you have a marriage. Be careful then how you date, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be foolish, he says in verse 17, 
but understand what the Lord's will is. And then from there, he dives into our relationships, he dives into our family, and then he talks about work and all these kind of like very personal. These are the things where the rubber meets the road. We have got to learn these three areas that he talks about, marriage, family, and work. Basically, it's our personal life. I mean, we can we can get up in the morning and say, I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm a, I'm a child of the king. And look in the mirror and know who we are, chapters 1 and 2. And we can get dressed and, and put on our clothes and take off the old man and put on the new man and say, I'm going to be a different person to the people I talk to today and, and what I do it, 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 on the road and at the coffee shop and with my friends. But the real evidence of your life is found in the, those big three areas that he talks about next, your marriage, your family life, and how you are every day at work. So he dives into some the three biggest personal areas of our lives. He says, this is where you really know if you're living out what we've been talking about. So let's dive into this a little bit. First of all, today, uh, marriage and relationships. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about family and work. Um, if you're married today, I want you to understand, as Paul says, what the Lord's will is for your marriage. Now, if you're single, or you're a young adult, or a teen, um, I want you to understand what the Lord's will is for your future. Maybe you're here and you're single again, and your circumstances in life are, are uh, maybe in your marriage where it's difficult, or things are not like where you would like them to be. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of pain put on people who've gone through divorce, or who have a struggling marriage, and today I want you to know that God is able to heal and restore and give you a sense of hope and a future and strength. And I pray that you understand what the Lord's will is for you today. So, what does the Bible really say about male and female relationships? Well, don't be foolish. You need to understand the Lord's will. It's about to get serious. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 21. This is probably the most important part that you'll ever hear today. Murray spent some time talking about it. 5.21. It says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Submission. Everybody's favorite word. Who loves the word submit? Didn't it? it just sounds bad when you say it, doesn't it? Submit. Tell me what to do. You know, I'm my own person. You know, if you're a grown-up like myself, you're like, I'm a grown man. You can't tell me what to do. You know, you ever watch Lost? Remember that series? There's an episode where uh, one of the guys who, in outside of the, the plane crash, he's in a wheelchair. Mysteriously, when he crashes on this island with all these other people, he can walk. And the, movie, the series has all these flashbacks. But there's this flashback where he's in this wheelchair and he's wanting to go on this Outback Australia adventures and they're like, he looks at him like, you can't do this. And he gets mad and I remember this of all the series I just remember. He goes, don't tell me what, to, uh, don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me what I can't do. And he stands up and he's pat on the table. Don't tell me what I can't do. And I thought, and it's like really stuck with me because that's the attitude in the heart of everybody. Tell me what I can't do. Well, right off the top, 521, he says, submit. Not just to the people you respect, not just to authority and to the police, but to everyone, to one another, to each other, out of reverence for Christ. We do this out of worship, out of worship for Jesus. So here's a couple of things on submission that we're going to dive into, relationships and men and women. 
First one is this, healthy relationships begin with mutual submission. You want to have a healthy relationship? Submit. Well, I'm the boss. I'm there. Uh, I'm the leader. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the older one, or I'm, I'm the smarter one, or whatever. Submit one to another. All healthy relationships begin with mutual submission. This is at the core of our walk with God in every area of our life. We do this, he says, out of reverence for Christ. That means we do this as an act of worship. And I'm going to submit to you because I love Jesus. Because when I submit to you, it's an act of worship and reverence to Christ. He says, submit one to another out of reverence or worship as, out, out of this sense of honor to Jesus. Second thing, write this down. Submission is not a sign of inferiority. This is vital to understand because a lot of people think if I submit to you, I'm acknowledging maybe that you're better, smarter, or somehow more qualified or, or in some way over me. And, and that's not what the word submission is about. We are equal in nature. Now, we're talking about relationships with men and women today. So I want you to be looking at this whole concept of submission through this lens. We are equal in nature. There's no superiority over men and over women. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, talks about how God created men and women equally in the image of God. Equally blessed and equally were given dominion over the earth. So we are equal men and women in nature, in design, in God's plan. We are equal is not a sign of inferiority. Galatians 3, 28, the Apostle Paul, the same guy who wrote Ephesians, what we're reading right now, he says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are one <coughs> in Christ Jesus. See, they lived in a culture where the women were, were not considered full citizens. They couldn't even testify in court. They had no value in print and writing or the legal system. They, had, they couldn't even own property. Right? And, and this was also a culture where there was servitude, the bond servants and slaves, which we're going to talk about next week. And, and he says, but in Christ, in the kingdom, in the way that God designed us, we're all the same. We're all equal. There's not a superiority or an inferiority here between people, positions, or cultures. So a lot of people would think that somehow America's culture is better than everybody else. No, we're not superior. We are equal. We are one in Christ. Here's the third thing. We are equal in Christ, but we are different in design. I've got some additional verses for you to look them up, look them up later. God created men and women equal, but very different. I don't know if you've noticed. We're different. Our biology is different. Our physiology is different. Our bodies, you know, the way we look, the way we function. Our hormones are different. How we uh, function, our uh, metabolism is different. Our brain, how our brain functions is different. God created men and women with different gifts and eight abilities. Here's an example. Think about this. Women have four times as many neurons connecting the left and right hemisphere of the brain than men. That means women have the ability to process simultaneously things that involve both the left, logical side, and the right, the creative side. The capacity to deal with complex problems and relationships is 
easier for women than for men. That's true. That's the way you were created. We were like, I don't know that. <laughs> it's biology. It's true. You're different. But the constant brain communication crossing can often make it difficult to focus and sometimes become easily distracted. So women have this, this complex ability to multitask or appears to be multitasking, but at the same time, they also, because of that, have a tendency to sometimes become easily distracted, right? Have you ever noticed that? Oh, look, you know, not, 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 I mean, men, we have the capacity to do that as well, but there's this biology of wiring. Now, men primarily use the left side of the brain. With less brain communication, men actually have the ability to focus on a single problem and have tunnel vision. Like, for instance, um, when our wives give us more than one thing to do, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like overload. Just give me one thing at a time, and then I'll check it off, and I'm on to the next. You know, that's just, uh, give me a list, that's fine, but, but just let me tackle one thought, one idea, one thing at a time, because that's how we process information. Women are like, all the place. I'm like, they got all these ideas and all these things they want to do in our house. I'm like, they want to do this, want to do this, want to do this. Like, no, we're going to do this, and we're not going to do anything else until this is done. But we work together to accomplish some pretty cool achievements in our home, our life, and our culture. See, we are created with the innate abilities. Our differences actually tell us how much we need to. This is what the Apostle Paul said in the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, 11, he says, But among the Lord's people, men, uh, uh, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. He says, we need to. For although the first woman came from men, every other man, in this example, every other man was born of a woman, and everything comes from God. It's like, you know, we need each other. And this isn't just like a reproduction issue, which, by the way, is a straight-up biological difference, Right? We, I can't reproduce myself. When then guess what? You can't either. Right? We need each other by God's design to leave a godly legacy on this earth and to build uh, you know, the nature of God in, in, human, uh, in human beings in life, to pass down the legacy of Christ. We can't do this independently of ourselves. But there's all these other areas that we are uniquely different and valued. So it's important to know that we are equal, that we are different in our design, which leads to the next one. We're equal in Christ, but we're different because of this design. We're different in our roles. Because we have different design and different functions and different abilities and even different brain operation and biology, so many things about us are different. The culture will try to tell us it's all mental. And, and I'm just, this is not in my notes, maybe I should even bring this up, but the, the I don't know, I'm just going to say So I could be, I haven't got time to get into it. But the world would try to, to change you and say, you know, men can be women and women can be men, but in order to do that, they literally have to, to rearrange the biology of a person. Not just the outside, but they have to like put like hormone uh, boosters and, and they have to stop hormones in bodies in order for people to transition. They have to alter the biology that makes them so uniquely different. Well, see, because the mind says, 
I'm something else. Well, then let's change the biology, the physiology. Let's change everything else about you because your mind is thinks that you're different. Well, we are different. But part of it is how it all works together. We have a different design, and that design is a different role, regardless of our personal capabilities, regardless of our even different personalities, we are never to replace God's creative design and roles. Roles transcend personality types. Now, a lot of times we talk about men and women, there's like these like generalities, and it's not just like, like, like uh, you know, women are always like this, and men are always like that. That's not always true. There are things that are that are designed different, and you're you're always going to be different. But we can't like overgeneralize and say all women are like this, and all men are like that, because we have different personalities, right? And we have different giftings, and, and not for instance, not all women uh, like to talk, and not all men uh, are, are, are always about you know sports and drinking beer and watching TV. You know, we all have different personalities. People have different. Some people are not all outspoken. Some are quiet and reserved. But regardless of your personality, regardless of your abilities, and regardless of what you like or don't like to do or your social background, it doesn't deviate from the role that God designed you for. This is kind of cool because here's, for example, single, married, everyone, whoever you are in this room, how many of you would say, I'm naturally a dominant personality? That's me. Naturally, God. I'm one of those people. Anybody else? Naturally, not a personality? Okay, you again. Alright, now, how many of you say, well, I'm kind of naturally passive? This is funny. Because you're all going to say, should I raise my hand? Because you're passive. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, I'm not going to raise my hand if they don't raise their hand. Right? We all have different personalities. Regardless of our different personalities, it doesn't change the roles we play that God designed us for. We're going to get to those in a minute. So here's the next thing I want to write down. Is our roles are designed by God to complete areas that we lack with each other. Alright? So these roles are part of God's design for us as couples and as people to be able to work together to, to complete each other. Remember the movie, um, to, uh, what's it? Toby McGuire, right? Where you can be happy, hello, you know, 90s movie. Anybody remember that movie? You know what I mean? That was like, how many memes of that, right? But there's this, this is like a biblical principle. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam was created by God. And of all the things that God created, he saw Adam and he says, moon, stars, Planet, earth, water, every day. You see, even today, this is good. This is good. He created Adam, and guess what he said? It is not good for man to be alone. The one thing he created was not good, not by itself good, and everything God makes is good, but how he was to function was not good. He says, You need help. It's not good for man to be alone. So, God, the Bible says in Genesis 2, God created him help. That's the word they, the help me, or help me is what, is what the Bible uses. Basically it means Adam needed help. And he, he can't function alone. I mean, most men would agree. 
We can't function alone. We don't like being alone. We like some independence, but we don't like to be so much alone that we feel like, like we don't have someone caring for us, taking care of us, helping us, emotionally encouraging us, and all the kind of things that, that our lives and, and uh, the, the women in our life bring our relationship. But God created somebody to help a man. He didn't create Adam a best friend. It was a man. He didn't say, Adam, you need a, a buddy. So I'm going to give you a buddy. He didn't say, Adam, you know, you're, man, you, and it's hard to lift up that stuff and build a house on your own. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create another guy, Adam, and uh, he's going to be like, his, let's call him Steve. So we have him Steve. And, and, I, and you guys, that way you guys can have, pick up logs together, right? And like two men can build a house together. So I'm going to build you a helper. And then, you know, and then maybe popular with, with these other things we'll call women, you know. But he didn't create Adam a bud, a friend, <coughs> co-worker only. He created someone who was a best friend. Someone who was a coworker, that he created somebody who was like completely different in every way imaginable. And then, after he created her, God said, mm, "This, this is good. What I've done here, that's good." He saw something that Adam needed, and he filled it with a wife. You are wife and answer to prayer. For example. Nicole has superpowers of discernment. She's in service. Uh, I could be talking to a guy who just cut his mom up and put her in a refrigerator, and I'd be like, hey, man, you need to do that. And I'd be walking like, that guy seems like a really nice guy, right? And Nicole would be like, no, there's something going on. She's like, she's got discernment superpowers, right? Some women, I think, not all of them, but some women have like this real intuitive discernment, right? And our husbands are like, completely oblivious, you know, to some people's needs and issues and problems, and then here comes our wife, I'm so good about that, you know, and that's how our, we balance each other out, maybe sometimes uh, she, she feels too heavy about something, and, and, I'm, and I'm a little bit more confident about it, and so we balance each other out, we work as a team, our differences complete, each other. Ephesians 5 21 says this, says submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Means we do this, um, and we like this, we like submit, we're all equal, we like that. The next part is when it gets really confusing, and this is where most people turn off, but don't get. 522, the very next verse says, but wives, after you submit to each other equally, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you are, uh, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this is alone, when I do marriage counseling, when I read this part alone, and I ask couples, like, what do you think that means? Uh, usually, they're like, uh, 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 uh. the husbands don't want to answer, the wives don't want to answer, because it seems like really uh, confusing or irritating or upsetting. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your neighbor for just a second and tell them what you think it means when it says wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Go ahead and turn to somebody and go ahead, for real, and ask each other, you know, uh, what do you think it means? And then, and then tell each other what, what it means. Even upstairs, you guys, you too, if you can ask each other. 
You said that to yourself, Cecilia. <laughs> I wish I could let the beams drop on y'all's conversations because there's there's so much conflict in this. And, and usually what I do is I have the wives answer it first when I do sit down to them because their answer is usually reflective of, of, of either experience that is kind of filtered and then they're like, oh, that means you gotta listen to what I have to say. You know, it's like this immediate, well, that means you have to submit, woman, right? There's that tendency, well, I will be honest with you, sadly, this verse has been used to mistreat women and to hurt women and to abuse women, and uh, it's not what you think it means, probably. There are two reasons why women, uh, particularly in this area, resist this passage uh, or even have a, a just an irritation with the whole word submit. We like mutual submission, but not this part where it says wives submit to their husbands. And the reason why there's two reasons why is because we have distorted and we have poor leadership in a lot of men. Uh, for example, we have controlling men, men who are abusive, dominant, uh, uh, manipulative, uh, even so-called Christian men that will even use this verse to, to control and to manipulate and to put their wives under some sort of, uh, under their thumb, under authority. That's not godly leadership. That's control. And it's unhealthy. And let me tell you, if that's your attitude and your perspective, you will have to answer to God for this. And all those people, all those men that are controlling and abusing, uh, abusive and manipulative, they will, they will answer God to this as well. But there's a flip side of this control, and it's another problem with the, with how women perceive this passage. Is that not only are they controlling, but some men are just passive. They're passive men. They, they, they have no backbone. They have no willingness to stand for anything. And, and they don't make decisions. And they abdicate leadership to their wife. And they're content to sit in the background. Be like a 12-year-old who plays video games all day. Or sits and wants to watch sports. And, and doesn't do anything when he comes home. See, there's this controlling attitude. And then there's this passive attitude. By the way, this month is, is, a, is an important month for many. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this month we uh, have families and people in our church who've experienced this. And, and they're, they're now advocates for this. And, and another thing that, that this control brings is we have a serious, serious epidemic in the United States with human trafficking. And guess who the purchasers are in human trafficking? It's primarily 98% men. Men are the economy behind human trafficking in the slum. Sex trade. You know, Texas has one of the largest human trafficking uh, locations in, in the United States. Dallas is a major human trafficking center because of the central location of the U.S. and to, uh, to Mexico. And, and this is a, an epidemic. And, and so when you read this passage, you're like, no, men are disgusting. Men are violent. Men cannot be trusted. Men are controlling and, and, and abusive. And, or men are passive. And they're, you know, every television show that has a family, the men are a joke. They're, they're made fun of. Half the jokes are about the men, you know, being lazy or sitting around or being dummies. And the wives are the women in charge. And we all laugh because we know that's kind of how it is in a lot of ways. Maybe in the homes that we were even raised in or even our current situation. It's no wonder when women here submit, it's offensive. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Everything, really? Well, in a minute, it will make sense. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as 
Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, we see this again and again. What we do, how we love, and our motivation is a just as Christ moment. Our love is not based on what our spouse does, but based on what Christ does. And so that keeps us constant and solid in how we are to respond. He says, 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or rape or blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul elevates marriage to the uh, marriage level to the highest level possible. He, see, he said, if you see a godly marriage, you see a snapshot of heaven. Verse 28, in this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they even care for their body. This is Christ as a church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Now that whole passage, for this reason, is right out of Genesis uh, 2. And, and this is actually one of the most often repeated verses in the entire Bible. You know, a lot of people say, uh, well, Jesus never talked about the whole, you know, LBGT issue. Yeah, he did, because he quoted this verse too. One of the most quoted verses, even Jesus, it clearly says that the design of God was one man and one woman, God's plan from the start, and still is today. One of the most often repeated passages in the entire Bible is for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. It's a picture of physical union as well as emotional and spiritual union. Are we going to be rooted in human divine culture or God-divine creation? And then he says this. This is a profound mystery. Yeah, it is. This whole relationship, man, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year. I'm 49. And I am still trying to figure out the mystery of women, right? I'm still trying to figure out my wife. 25 years we've been married. And I'm still, this is a mystery. He said, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So there's, if I want to understand my wife, I need to understand this relationship that God has with us. All right? We are equals in Christ, but we are different. And with those differences, there are different roles. So what are the roles? He just gave us a couple of them. So let's take a look at it. Remember, this is real, real, real important. Paul, he says, God says, in our equality, there are different roles we play in our home. This is not about men and women in general. This is not about how men should be treating women at work. This is not about how women should be in, in uh, public relationships with other people, with other men. This is not about politics. This is not about men and women in politics. This is not about... Um, men and women in, in, in social life or arenas. This is specifically husbands, wives in the home. And this is important because a lot of guys, they'll read this verse and they think this is like all women need to submit to men. No, this is not what it's about. And some women read this, that means I have to listen to all men. No, you don't. This is not about any area outside of the home. This is home-based roles. Because in Christ, we're equal. We are equal in, in, in so many ways. We are different in design and roles, but this is about home, okay? And this is, the live teams are gonna kind of dive into this this week, and, and I want you to be in a live team. So what are the marriage job descriptions? And again, if you're single, 
This is what to know what God's will is for your future. All right, so this is not like, this is not very confident. No, this is for you. Because this is the kind of man women you need to look, be looking for. And this is the kind of woman that you need to be uh, looking for as well. So here we go. Husbands, your role. Number one, job description. Men, you are to lead your home. You are to lead your home. Men, God has ordained you and called you to lead your home. This does not make you the boss of your house. And this does not mean that you make all of the decisions in your house. That's not leadership, that's dictatorship. And God has called you to not be a dictator, but to be a leader. I like to think about it this way. Christ is the head of our church. And as the pastor of our church, more than anybody else in our church, I will have to stand for God and answer to Him on, uh, on about what goes on here. You're not going to have to answer to God for that. I'm going to answer to God for that. But, we're equal. My leadership doesn't mean I'm greater. It just means greater responsibility. Would it be wise for me to make every single decision in our church? Some pastors try, and they're very controlling, and it's not in the church. No, that's not leadership. That's control. It does not free other leaders up to express themselves and to lead in their gifts. So in our ministries of our church, they make decisions independently of me. Now, major decisions they might run by the leadership of our church and through me, but for the most part, these ministries, like, I don't pick the songs they sing to me. I'll throw out a song or two that I'd like them to learn, but they pick their own music. You know, I make suggestions and I, I don't tell them what night they're going to meet or, or the parts they're going to play or who's going to sing what. That's not how leadership works. That's not how mutual serving works. And put it this way, as a leader, one of the most important things you do is point. You've got a picture here of Babe Ruth. 1932 World Series, Game 3. Babe Ruth steps up to the bat with his two fingers. He points to center field and points, just like that. It's, it's memorialized in pictures and veins. He steps up there, points to Cedarville, and then he takes the bat, the pitch, pow! Straight to Cedarville. Home run. Amazing. He didn't win the game with that hit, but he led the team to an incredible victory in 1932 Game 3 World Series. Men, we are called to do exactly what he does. Point. That's, that's what leadership does. See, Babe Ruth didn't make every decision in that game. He didn't, you know, score every point in that game. And he wasn't even uh, the person who was in charge of the team. But what he provided in leadership was power. He, he inspired direction. And see, that's what we're called to do. Then point, basically, here's what we're doing at home. We say, this is the direction we're going. This is, this is where I feel like God's leading us. This is what we stand for. This is gonna be our values. This is what we're gonna be about. This is, this is how teamwork, we're going to be a family that, that's a team, we're going to work together, but I'm going to point to center field, this is where we're headed. That's what a good leader does. We're going to cast a clear vision. Proverbs says that where there is no vision, people cast off restraints. Some of the other translations say, without a vision, people wander aimlessly. See, without your leadership men in your marriage, your marriage will wander aimlessly. Some translations say, well, without vision, people perish. Because when you wander aimlessly, you end up perishing or dying. 
Where there's no vision in marriage, when two people try to go in two different directions, they perish. Sit down with your wife, men, and point. Talk it out. Relay what God's putting in your heart and listen to what God's putting in your heart. And come up with a plan. You take that lead. Luke 11, 17 says, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fail. So you guys like, I don't understand why my, I can't get my, my marriage together. Because you're like trying to run a three-legged race without listening to your partner. You're not listening to each other. Some say, well, yeah, she doesn't follow me. You know, she shouldn't. I heard some people say, well, if I had a wife like yours, then I could leave you. My wife doesn't honor and respect me. You might say, well, give her something to respect. Give her something to honor. The, the real reason is the reality is you have to let her. Men don't control lead. Here's the second role, man, is this. Is men, you are to lead like Jesus, humbly, patiently, and sacrificially. Ephesians 5 defines what this looks like. In fact, this is one of the most descriptive uh, job descriptions for men in a relationship, all right? So listen to this. Again, this is marriage. If you're dating... Your boyfriend does not have to do this. You want to encourage him to do this. You're seeing these habits develop in him. You don't have to submit to your boyfriend. You don't do that. You're not married. This is not a boyfriend-girlfriend role. This is a husband and wife role. So boyfriend, don't expect your girlfriend to submit to you. She doesn't need to submit to you. She needs to submit to Christ. And you have mutual submission. You're not married yet. But you want to look for the leadership qualities in a guy. And these are the leadership qualities. He defines them in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Men, this is your calling. Single women look for this. He says, verse 25, love your wives as Christ of the church. That means show your love to her. Show your love. Don't just think it. Don't just, you know, you know, on anniversaries or Valentine's Day. You know, a lot of men were not super expressive, you know, so this is a real challenge for us to show love. To actually be loving. It's something that we have to embrace and intentionally do. Christ didn't just stay in heaven. He left heaven and came and showed his love to us through his life and through his death. He showed it. He gave his life. This is Christ loves us. Showed it. We need to show it to our life. There's another. He says he gave himself up for her to make her holy. That means, husbands, we need to learn to sacrifice for our wife. That means our decisions are based on what's best for her, not what's best for you. That means you prayerfully lay down your ambitions, your goals, even your money to lead your home and to make sure that she is taken care of. You sacrifice or you lay down your life for your bride. And it goes cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That means you spiritually lead her. Christ gave us the word. He spiritually led us and fed us and made sure that we were in a spiritual direction that was good. Husbands, you need to take the spiritual lead on this. You need to make sure the alarms are set on Saturday night and that everybody's up in time to go to church on Sunday morning. You need to make sure that there's a healthy uh, pattern of discipleship in your home with your children and that you're reading scripture and that people are growing in their walk with God and, and there's prayer time together and that this is not just a weekend experience, but you're leading her spiritually. You take the lead spiritually in your home. So many wives 
They take the lead at a deep hole. Husbands take the lead. Next one, it says, and present her to himself as a radiant church. That means, man, you, you see her as a gift and you honor her as a gift. Again, this is something we must intentionally do. Sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we don't, we don't think about honoring our wife and, and seeing the value that she is. She's a gift in our life, but we need to honor her. He says, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. You know, the wedding ceremony is a picture of our relationship with Christ. Uh, uh, with Christ. But who gets, who gets the honor on the, on, on the wedding day? It's the bride, right? She's the one that, that, that designed the whole thing. And she's the one in the, in the big, expensive, beautiful dress. And he's the guy in this little, you know, the rented tux, right? And the rented clothes. And, you know, the, the, the maybe ooh, $40 shirts and suspenders, whatever. It's like, man, but she's got hundreds of dollars in best. And she comes down the aisle. The guy's just down there with the minister. She comes down the aisle. Everybody stands up. Oh, it's the bride. Here comes the bride. You know, that is because God presents to us a radiant church for himself. He does this as a gift to himself. He honors us because he loves us and he sees us as precious and he loves us as a gift. He gave his life for us. He gives us the gift of grace. And then he puts us up on a, on a hill and says, that's my baby. That's my son. That's my daughter. Look, world. That's supposed to be my kids. And, and you know what we need to do, husbands? We need to sing for our wife. You know, elevate her. Honor her. Remember, she's the gift. And to present her to the world, as, as it says here, as, as a radiant church, as a radiant bride, you know? And then the next one is verse 28. says, he, uh, they love their wives as their own bodies. That means you take care of her. It means you take care of her. This doesn't mean that you have to make more than her. Because I know guys that work from home, or maybe they have a, a situation where he stays at home with the kids, and maybe she works. And, and if that's the agreement that as a leader you guys have worked out, and, and you're equally giving and sacrificing your role at home, and you're still able to take care of her and honor her. This is, I've actually talked to guys and like, you know, they always feel like they have to have an edge over their wife. You know, just like 50 cents more. I just gotta, I just gotta make more. Than my, listen, some of your wives, they're just smarter than you. And they're better at <laughs> stuff than you. And so, some of you, you're never gonna make more money than your wife, and that's okay. Because this is not about making more money than her, this is about taking care of her. And this doesn't mean that you have to be the bread winner. It means that you are taking care of your wife as you take care of yourself. And this goes on in verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ is the church. That means you serve her. All right? You serve her. This is what, this is the job description. Women, women would you be offended to see a man lead your home like that? Would that offend you if that was a man in your life? Would you have any problem following a man like that? Letting him lead your home? Men, you're called to be humble, patient, servant leaders. All right. Because men need all the work. Women not as so much. We're going to plow through the women because we're short on time here. Uh, these are the marriage job descriptions for the women. All right. Wife, your role. Women, 
health your husband needs. God created you to be healthy. Ephesians 5 24 says, Now, as the church submits to Christ, the wives submit to his leadership, submit to him. The word submit is a military term there. It means to fall in line, it means to follow the lead. So, what God is saying is, women, listen, you are dynamic leaders, you are uniquely gifted, you have incredible abilities, and, and this is not about men and women, this is about husbands and wives. There's a difference. Remember, this is about roles inside of the home. You know? Not in the world, because there's incredible women that lead in a variety of ways. Women are dynamic leaders in business, in science, in education, medicine, justice, social work, politics, and in ministry. You know, this past Wednesday, one of our young adult women preached on Wednesday night, and it was powerful. She was really, really good. There are women that can serve in a variety of capacities in life, and they're brilliant, and sometimes even better than men in different areas of life. But in marriage, there is a role designed that we did best. You're called to help your husband to lead. Behind every great man, you've heard it said, is a dynamic woman. You see, and I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure to be uh, the leader of the home. There is. Some of you women, you lead your home, and it's a lot of pressure. It's not a it's not a burden you want to bear. And you just you just pray, you just wish that your husband would step up and take the lead because that burden is so heavy. You know, men, when we step up, it's a burden you need to bear. God designed us to be temperamentally different and able to bear a certain kind of pressure that's uniquely different than our, the women in our life and the counterparts. So when a woman, by default, has to lead, it's not a role that she wants. It's a role she has to take because you're not leading. And resentment settles in if she takes that role. And she gets frustrated and she gets angry. And she becomes disrespectful because she doesn't respect you because you've become passive or you're not leading. And so she's doing this job and she's doing a dynamic job. The kids are getting to school every morning and you guys are making it to church on the weekends and meals are getting made and, and then and, and it's like, and then, but then she gets grumpy and you're like, why is she so grumpy? It's because you're not here. It's because you're not stepping up. It's because you're not being the leader that God designed you to be and she's being the leader that she's not designed to be either. Now, in those moments, sometimes, because of the past of her controlling husband or men in her past, sometimes she won't, out of a lack of confidence, give the leadership back. She's like, I don't trust him to lead. I don't trust him to, to, to make decisions in our own. He's, he has a bad track record. So they carry it and keep resentment. And then the husband, because he feels like he can't lead, he gets resentful. And so there begins the, the long or, or fast road to heart separation. And it could be leading to a divorce. It could just be leading to two separate rooms where they don't talk, communicate. And it happens all the time. So there's this challenge. Women let him lead. God created Eve because Adam needed help. So God gave him a wife and husbands. If you don't let your wife lead, if you don't give her the room to express her gifts in your life and help you in leadership and help you in the house and help you in direction and counsel, if you don't let her help you, she won't be able to flourish in the role that she is designed for. I think we like this way. This is a good way to think of wives. Let them lead and help them lead. This honors the Lord. It's like friends in our ministry team. I'm 
today we have a staff meeting today, and the people that come to our house, and you know, they're my friends as well as ministry leaders. Uh, they have different roles at different times, and I think, you know, when, when we're in the church mode, there's this submission as they're in uh, serving in the church and I'm the pastor, but when that meeting is over, we're friends. You know, and, and there's a, a role, another way I think about it is my, my mother and my in-laws. It's like my mother used to go to our church before she passed on, and I have this blessing to have my in-laws at our house, but I submit to them as my elders and as, as parents in my life. But guess what? They, because of their maturity, are able to submit to me as a pastor. And it blows my mind. How are they able to do that? Because they have a sense of maturity and an understanding of the roles. It's, there's, there's a mutual relationship of respect and honor here, but we understand the roles. Similarly, in the home, you're equal. Husband and wives, you are equal. And you must learn to respect the roles that God has given you. But in your equality, there are different roles. My wife is a, is a dynamic leader. She's my number one counselor. She's my number one teacher, my number one helper. She's my number one corrector, right? She's like the Holy Spirit's voice in my ear. She's a decision maker in our home. But when it comes down to it, she lets me in. When it comes down to decisions that maybe we're not on the same page with or decisions that we have to make a call on, she respectfully relinquishes that role to me as the leader of our home. We are a team. But there's a team captain, and God's called me to be that team captain. Here's the second thing women in your roles not only to help them lead, but women are to help them lead like Jesus. Men, you're called to lead, and you're called to lead like Jesus. Women, you're to help them, and to help them like Jesus, with encouragement, respect, and submission. Wives, this is your calling. Single men look for women like this. You want a woman that does these things. Look at this next one. You need a woman that does this. Go to the next slide. This is how Jesus encourages us. Builds up, lifts up, words are powerful. You need a woman that will encourage you. Women, this is your role in the home. Be an encourager. Be, a, be someone who builds up with your words, builds up with your attitude, builds up with your enthusiasm and your excitement and your heart for him and the things he's doing. This empowers us. You know, things like, you got this. You got this. You can do this. You know, men, uh, who wouldn't want to have you on their team? You know, you're so talented at that. You know, you identify our strong uh, qualities and you highlight them and you, you encourage us. You know, women, you know, if a guy encourages me, yeah, sure, whatever, yeah. But when my wife encourages me, there's something, it's like after church, right? And I'll ask some of you how the service but it was good. They could be lying, I don't know. If you could say, hey, it was a great service today, you might just be telling me, Whatever I wanted to hear. But when I go home and my wife tells it to me, I'm like, hmm, it was actually good. You know, I believe in my wife because how she encourages me is so much more valuable than anyone else. You have the power to encourage and challenge your husbands like no one else. And or to, uh, we ought to uh, seek respect. I mean, I would say respect is the, the sole food for every man. This is, this is where we feel honored and trusted. You know, my wife, I'm highlighting her because we're talking about men and women she's in service. Um, <clears throat> you know, she says I love you, she doesn't just say I love you, 
She says this because we've been talking about this and I've talked about this issue before in this passage. And she goes, I respect you. You know, I respect you. You're the best. You're, you know, just out of nowhere, I'm like, I can do anything, you know? And just, it's like food for my soul. You know, respect is that for men. And then counsel, you know. Uh, Husbands, you can let your wife counsel because she's got some incredible insight and direction. She's got an incredible power to really see things that we don't see and got solutions for things that we might see as a problem. She has a perspective on things that we need to hear. And wife, you also help me lead by mutual submission, but also submission to the role that God has given you. Follow his mission. Let him lead. Don't take it from him. And when he won't lead, Help him to lead. Give him opportunities to lead. And when he fails, encourage him. Help him to be a better leader. Not tear him down and take the leadership back. It's all about empowering him to be the man you know and your partner desire for him to be. This does not mean that you don't disagree, you don't talk about differences. But when you all said and done, you let him Jesus modeled it. So just as Christ was equal to the Father in every way, Jesus was fully God. The Bible says that Christ willingly submitted himself to the Father. They are equal. He's God. Jesus is God. But Jesus, as the Son, in his equality with the Father, submitted himself to the Father in that role as the Son. This is a very biblical to do this. Biblical leadership and mutual submission is not about the means, it's about the way. And when we walk outside of these boundaries, and in these roles, so I want to end with this couple of thoughts here. Paul says, "Be careful in how you live, not as wise, uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is." I'm end with a couple of thoughts. If you are single today. You do not need to submit to your boyfriend or other men. However, you want to look for a man that is taking the servant lead. And if he struggles with humbly leading, help him. But don't marry him. <laughs> okay. And if you see him improving, then that might be someone who could be your, your, your life. But if they're not embracing this humble servant leadership role in their life, you need to release him and seek someone who will be the husband that you and your heart desire. Young adults focus on being rather than finding. Do this, make do this, make a detailed list of everything you're looking for in a person. If you're single, looks, personality, uh, maybe income, job, whatever, make a detailed list of what you're looking for. Then look at your list and ask yourself, uh, why in the world will this person marry me? Alright. And then you have to ask yourself, are you becoming the person that they would want to marry to? So you need to focus on the being rather than uh, the, the unlocking the future of who you're going to marry. I've heard of this. A young man proposed to a girlfriend had a ring, and uh, he, said, he said, sweetheart, he said, I love you so much. He goes, I know I don't have a car like John Mason. I know I don't have a house like John Mason. And I know I don't have a career and a job like John Mason. I said, but I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? She looks at him and she goes, I love you too. 
Tell me more about this gentleman. <laughs> Why would this person marry me? Focus on being rather than fighting. You want to know? Here's how to find your number two. The number one is the Lord. Here's how you find your number two. You ready? Run toward your number one, Jesus, with all of your heart. Just run. And then while you're running, go to the side. And if there's somebody cute of the opposite sex running at the same speed as you, and you like them in their fun, then grab their hand and run together. There's a psalm that says, 34 3, the psalm says, Glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Now, if you're married and you have a struggling marriage today, what you need to do, if your marriage is hurting, and if both of you are willing, you need to do what this verse says as well. You need to take their hand, and you both need to be before God, and you need to pray. You need to pray this verse, glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Pray that you will be one to serve the one who gave his life together for you to be one. God is for you. Maybe if you need to start over, start over. If they're willing, you take their hand and you just start fresh, you start over. If you seek help, seek a counselor, go through a class. Paul brings it all together with this. Ephesians 533. However, each one of you must also love his wife. As he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. There's a, a series called the Love and Respect Principle. These are two unconditional commands. Husband, you are to unconditionally love your wife. No matter what. Because it will lead to her respect. And wives, you are to respect your husbands. No matter what. Even when he's not very, being very respectful. Because no matter what, this will lead to love. It's called The Energizing Cycle. It's from a book uh, called A Love and Respect. There's the death cycle, the miracle cycle, the energizing cycle. This is where you want your marriage to be. His love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. And so you are energized. The miracle cycle is you love regardless of her respect. And you respect regardless of his love. That's the miracle cycle. Because when you do that, miracles begin to happen. His heart begins to be changed, or her heart begins to be moved. Perspectives get to be rearranged, and it's all based upon this passage in 5.33. So here's the challenge. It's this. I want you to take a picture. Get your phone out. Take a picture of this next page. And uh, there's some places for you. We have Right Now Media, which is a resource that we provide free of charge to everyone in our church. If you don't have a password to that, text your email address to that phone number, just your, your email address, and a password will be sent to you. If you log into Right Now Media, and if you're single, uh, I suggest that you do one of these two uh, classes. And if you're married, there's a whole bunch to pick from, but I think a good place to start would be this Love and Respect series on Right Now Media. They're, they're Bible studies, they're video Bible studies, and uh, they're high quality. Uh, right Now Media is kind of like a Netflix for Bible studies. It's free that we provide for you. Um, uh, we, we pay for it, we provide it. All you gotta do is send us your email if you don't have a password. And you're not gonna fix your marriage in one Sunday morning service. It's just kind of maybe an eye opening, blowing the dust off, wiping the counter off, and then from here, begin the journey, okay, of healing in your life and direction of your soul. Alright, let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that this morning you spoke to us and challenged us and encouraged us. And uh, Lord, I pray that. Lord, you help us to, to hear your voice and hear your word in our life concerning the family. And uh, Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, for our offering right now as well. And as the ushers are coming forward, God, we pray for our offering that you would uh, bless it, multiply it. 
God, you see the needs we have. And God, those that can meet their needs, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.